Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast that gets inside the brains of some of the best and brightest in personal finance to find out how they achieved financial independence. Today, I have another podcast takeover episode for you, and this time it's from the Financial Independence Europe podcast. And the topic of the episode is a really interesting one, and it's one that I've not covered on this show, so I'm really happy that somebody else has done it for me this time. And that topic is effective altruism. And this is a topic I'm thinking a lot more about lately as I'm, you know, getting used to giving and, you know, charitable giving wasn't something that was in my life prior to reaching Phi, but it's something that I'm trying to integrate into my life post-Phi. And effectively giving to charities that are going to use that money appropriately and have the biggest bang for the buck is really important. So on this episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast, Matthias interviews Luke Freeman and Rebecca Hurst about effective altruism. And Luke is with an organization called Giving What We Can, and Rebecca is actually an early retiree who is deeply involved in the effective altruism community and also writes about finances and giving over at yieldandspread.com. So I personally learned a lot from this conversation, and hopefully you will too. So without further delay, here it is, the Financial Independence Europe podcast with Luke and Rebecca. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your host, Matthias. Today I talk with Luke and Rebecca about donating and philanthropy. Luke works for the organization Giving What We Can and Rebecca is already retired from her corporate career at WeWork and other companies. She is now teaching people part-time about personal finance at Yield and Spread. Interestingly, Rebecca is now giving what she earns in her side business to the people in need. And today we find out why. Once you achieve a certain wealth, people often experience a strong desire to help others in need. Of course, many of you are also giving beforehand hitting that milestone right in your accumulation phase, especially these days where millions are fleeing from war even in the middle of Europe, something we really could not imagine some time ago. We already talked about the topic effective altruism with Sebastian from Fire Belgium in episode number 36 and we now want to extend the topic even further. So today you'll learn about the motivation behind giving, how you screen for most effective projects, the history and evolution of philanthropy and how Europe and the US are different here. So enjoy the episode! We have two guests today here in the virtual studio um, called Luke. Hi, Luke. G'day. And we have also Rebecca with us from the United States, both. Um, yeah, if you, um, I think we also will publish a video of the episode. So if you like, you can also watch it on YouTube. Let's just start us with some quick introduction. Luke, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your role at giving what we can? <laughs> And um, how, how, how did you actually get there? Yeah, so I'm the executive director at Giving What We Can, which means that I'm in charge of the day-to-day -day operations. Mm -hmm. Giving What We Can is a community of effective givers. So we provide support, community, and information to help people to do the most good they can with their charitable donations. Uh, we also have uh, the Giving What We Can pledge, which is uh, a commitment for people to give 10% or more of their lifetime income, which uh, has been taken by some rather prominent people, as well as just a community of thousands of everyday people, um, and including Rebecca, who's also uh, here, who will introduce herself shortly. My journey to this was an interesting one. While I was you know, quite young, I was very uh, struck by global poverty and really wanted to do what I could to um, change that. So I got involved with things like 
the Make Poverty History campaign, 40-hour famine, things like that. Then, you know, many years later when I was uh, entering the workforce, uh, it happened around the financial crisis. So I had a lot of credit card debt because the Australian dollar had crashed when I was studying in Canada and all of my uh, student fees had to be paid in Canadian dollars. So coming back with that debt and on a you know very low paying entry-level job supporting me and my partner, I learned to become very frugal. In fact, that's actually when I discovered a lot of the FI community as well. And as my income improved, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to save and I wanted to start giving. I want to start giving a reasonable amount. It suddenly became really important how effective my giving was because I wouldn't want to give that much away without uh, knowing that it's going to do a lot of good. And that led me to learn more about effective giving uh, and to eventually take the Giving What We Can pledge. Yeah, interesting. And um, have you also you have also been working in startups and before or uh, yeah? So I spent most of my career in uh, startups, predominantly a little bit in the public sector as well, but mostly working uh, in uh, tech startups. Wonderful. So then let's also um, let Rebecca introduce herself. I just see your WeWork background, and I found out on LinkedIn that you also worked there. And uh, what have you also done before WeWork? I am officially an early retiree as of 2019. So I spent about 10 plus years working largely in the commercial real estate industry. So some high powered jobs as a researcher and economist and consultant of sorts for one of the largest global commercial real estate providers, as well as WeWork. All of this early retiree thing is still pretty new and fresh to me. Sometimes I like to joke I'm a recovering type A trying to figure out what this new life is like. But I'm originally from New York State mm. and have lived in Boston, Singapore, and now I'm leaning into a slightly slower pace in life. I moved to a smaller city called Ogden, Utah, which is just north of Salt Lake City, Utah anybody over in Europe has heard of that before. So these days I do less real estate and spend a little bit more time being outside, hiking, skiing, exploring. I just went skiing this morning, actually. And I spend a lot of my time now also running my small nonprofit, which can also be considered this sort of meta charity where all proceeds from this financial literacy course called Yield and Spread go to uh, effective charities. Mm -hmm. So you kind of early retired and you have, I would say, not a full-time business, but just a side hustle without a hustle, maybe, uh, where you just teach people how to um, yeah, how to manage their money and how to plan for retirement and so on. Is it uh, focused on a special target group or some special audience? And how do you find these people that you can teach? Yeah, great question. So I think that there are a lot of financial independence and early retirement resources out there. So I was really focused on creating a course that was simple, easy to digest along the lines of just learn to invest and build wealth. So it's based in financial independence, investment strategies that a lot of your viewers and listeners will, will take in themselves. But it's largely towards just a working class audience, those who want to learn how to invest and build wealth. And yeah, I think calling it a side hustle that's not so much of a hustle is a really great idea. It's a nice way to be still involved in the community, give back, and be able to teach something I love, which is financial literacy, while also getting a little bit more involved in the effective altruism movement. And during your normal corporate career, have you also been in touch already with um, giving away some wealth, maybe as a corporate and not as an individual? That's also an awesome question. So I would say growing up for most of my life and as well into my early career, I didn't focus too much on 
on others. Candidly, I was focused a lot on myself, my career development, where I was going. Um, And as I learned about financial independence, I learned about effective altruism, the concept of giving back and doing good over time around the same time. And so it was really mostly as I leaned into financial independence and into my early retirement lifestyle that I began to think more about, okay, well, why am I doing this? Why am I seeking financial independence? And a big part of that is thinking about one's legacy and what we're kind of doing on this planet and, and giving back. I actually spent you know, most of my working career really focused on high-powered clients looking for really quality real estate assets all over the globe. And now my life looks a little bit different than that. And you also, I mean, people are curious, I think. Uh, did you then fire with real estate or more the ETF route? Oh, so that's the irony of, of my lifestyle is that even though I spent 10 years in commercial real estate, I've actually not used real estate in any way, shape or form to get to financial <laughs> independence. So uh, my journey has been largely through ETFs and mutual funds. And while I do own a house now recently purchased, it's not part of the FIRE plan. Um, yeah, interesting that, uh, that you haven't used uh, utilized uh, real estate. Maybe we can also talk about the giving what you can, not project, but what is it? Yeah, so giving what we can is one of many organizations in the effective altruism movement now. The effective altruism is simply the idea that we have a limited amount of resources. And if you care about doing the most good with them, it requires uh, looking at it carefully and trying to use the best tools we have to answer that question. Quite mm-hmm. similar to the FI community, it's basically a community of optimizers um, uh, or people who are nerds about charity, career, advocacy, and things like that. Um, so given what we can, we're a pretty small organization. Uh, there have a team of five at the moment, uh, people working on, on research, on, on the website, on uh, communications and things like that. Um, but there's also a number of organizations in this space that do things like cause prioritization, figuring out if you have certain values, what might you prioritize in the world, whether it be you know things helping people now into the future, things helping animals, and what might those causes be, be it climate change, biosecurity, poverty alleviation, um, you know, global health interventions, things like that. Um, And then there's, once you get that kind of cause level, there are organizations looking at things like, as we mentioned before, careers, but also charities. So going, okay, if you care about improving global health, uh, an organization like Giver, which we often refer to, they look at how can you save the most life uh, or years of life or do the most good in that sense uh, for people in the near term by doing things like distributing anti-malarial bed nets or or incentivizing vaccines or um, doing nutritional supplementation. A lot of these things, which are the building blocks for helping people get out of poverty and to live better lives. So it's quite a large community of researchers. It's also built on the broader scientific and economic uh, research that we do have. So a lot of development economics, a lot of health, um, you know, science and everything like that. So that gathering that information together trying to do the best we can to understand it and then sharing what we learn with each other. So basically, if I would sign up for uh, giving what we can, I could just say, okay, my values are this, this, these kind of problems are important to me. And then you have, you have kind of a catalog of problems and yeah. a catalog of charities. And then that you have maybe pre-scanned how effective they are. And then you could just kind of direct my money to that kind of charity and monitor it. Uh, how they implement the work, yeah. basically. So, yeah, members of Giving What We Can can give wherever wherever they would like, uh, but the main thing is that it's given with a purpose that it is trying to do the most good. 
Um, we do provide a lot of information and resources um, around uh, how we think people can do the most good based off a few different moral perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people can, they can give uh, through our parent organization, the Center for Effective Altruism, using EA funds, and that will track automatically if they've taken a pledge. But they can also just give directly to the charities or through other uh, national regranting organizations. For example, um, in Germany, there's effective Spenden um, mm. that uh, enables people in Germany to give tax effectively to some of these great organizations. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca, how uh, have you started um, uh, being in, evo- involved in giving what you can? Um, when did you start? What have you pr- prioritized? So I took the Tri Pledge which is a really great option for people who are exploring committing to donating a certain portion of their salary mm-hmm. each year and have now moved on to Luke. Is it just the, the pledge? What, yeah. The giving what we can the, pledge. The giving what we can pledge. Um, and that's how I first got introduced to Luke. I also, when I first learned about effective altruism, it was pretty, uh, pretty seamless transition. I made it. I, I was sort of always Googling around, like, what is the right charity to give to? What means the most to me? And I would get a little lost and tripped up in my thoughts that sometimes I wouldn't give because the friction was too much. So when I learned about effective, effective altruism and organizations like Giving What We Can, it made it quite simple and easy to give just based on our, our you know, moral principles. So while there's choice in exploring things that are important to you, like Luke mentioned, like climate change or alleviating poverty, it does help sort of streamline the process in terms of how to do the most good. So when I originally took the Tri Pledge, I, I went a little bit unique. Um, I aimed to match 25% of my consumption. So I would donate 25% um, equal to my expenses each year. And I thought that was a good way to explore donating because I wasn't earning traditional income. And I needed a way to kind of (laughs) mark a number to give. Then that kind of ended up messing with my brain a little bit because like each dollar I spent was like, oh, I have have to match that. And uh, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And if I spend more, then maybe I donate more. And so it kind of became a little murky and and, and icky. But I think that's okay. I think it's Mm -hmm. okay to iterate and like explore what it means to donate and what it means to you. And so now I've, moved in a little bit different of a direction where instead of donating my income because I don't sort of earn that traditional income anymore, my fiance and I have sort of committed to donating um, stocks directly to programs that are meaningful to us, namely Give Directly right now. And then also uh, all proceeds from my course Yield and Spread go to charity as well. So you know, the more students I reach, basically, the more, the more money ends up going to effective causes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that. Um, I, re- I really like how um, this community generally encourages people just to be planned about their giving, to go, okay, I'm not going to leave, just leave this up to chance, but I'm going to think about uh, what is the right structure that works for me. We have suggestions that work for many people, like the Giving What We Can pledge. And similarly, we have suggestions of where people might give. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about sharing information um, and trying to be planned and structured around being an active agent and making the world that you want to see and, and using your income uh, as part of that. And is there a minimum amount you need to kind of pledge or donate um, for people so that they can join this? 
Um, yeah, so if someone is uh, a student or retired, it's one uh, 1% of their spending money. Um, unless you join when you're retired, then uh, it would be 1% of uh, your retirement income. Um, so, uh, but that's to be like, a, to be a pledged member. Um, so that's the try giving pledge starts, um, at 1%, um, of, of income or spending money if you're not currently getting in income. Um, but anyone can be a kind of member of our community in the broader sense of, uh, showing up to our events, being, you know, receiving our newsletter, email updates, um, and things like that. Are people really involved or are they just sending sending the money and then that's it or are they kind of showing up there and discussing about uh, what is more effective and what not or how how involved are the, the members yeah so obviously like any community there's a quite a breadth of involvement um mm -hmm. you know um so some people just like this is a uh, this is a moral commitment for me i just want to do this i want to set and forget i'm going to set an automated monthly donation um that i know is going to be among the best things i could be doing um i'm going to trust this research other people uh i'm going to show up to a couple of events a month in my local area or online i'm i'm going to do active research on this and share what i've you know done with the community um and so there is quite a quite a breadth of different type, levels of involvement And I could could imagine if you, for example, early retired and you kind of don't know why to get out of bed every day, uh, then many people, as they had are already are also experts in in certain things, want to kind of engage there and yeah, also discuss uh, what to do and so on. Um, is the, is the um, I mean the, the the organization started also in kind of Oxford, but it's also has some chapters in Cambridge, Princeton, Harvard. Is there also um, that it's getting a little bit broader and not kind of this elite type of of thing? Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, I, I think uh, that the way that I look at it is I think people who have more do have both more a responsibility and an opportunity to do uh, to do more with what they have. Mm -hmm. But I, I do like that giving is something that anyone uh, can do to some extent. And so... Uh, while I would say that I want to see a world in which more money is coming from people who are from you know, wealthy uh, backgrounds and places in the world, um, I do want to see a community that is quite broad and brings a lot of perspectives in. Even if people are giving a lot less, they bring that information to the table. In fact, one uh, thing I really like is about having um, certain uh, giving-related events. Uh, I've done things like uh, an everyday philanthropist event a few times where someone is like, hey, here's a few thousand dollars. It's part of my annual giving. I want uh, the people in the room today to decide between these five charities. Um, and you get people who are you know, students or from a low-income background who really care about doing good in the world, don't have a lot of their own giving to do, but are being part of helping someone else make this uh, important giving decision for them um, and sharing their perspectives on that. And so I really like that community side about it is it becomes a lot less about just a, uh, someone acting in isolation, but it becomes about bringing a lot of different perspectives into how, how we could go about giving um, with people who share a lot of similar values, but are very willing to uh, challenge each other. And that's really exciting. Mm. Yeah. I would say I really like my personal journey into the effective altruism community has been incredibly positive. Um, I mean, obviously, there are a whole group of people who have taken the pledge and are coming at this from a, I'm just going to push money towards these causes that are important to me. But there really are a lot of opportunities to learn. 
There's coursework and education. There's extremely targeted books. For example, The Life You Can Save is the first book that I read by Peter Singer that introduced me Mm -hmm. to this movement and this philosophy. And then in my experience, just meeting people who have different ideas, different ways of going about things have really just like, I've personally benefited from being part of that community and just growing and learning Um, and examples of the events that Luke held. And um, just this past year, once the borders opened up a little bit, I even went to a global effective altruism conference in London, which in my entire career working in commercial real estate was the most like productive, humble opening experience that that I've had at a conference. And so I think being part of that community helps uh, make decisions like giving money away, frankly, a little bit easier because you're surrounded by people who are providing really strong examples and providing you with that level of support. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am. Uh, I like this. Um, I think I have to check out this uh, global conference. Uh, I could yeah. imagine that this is really also just a nice event, uh, except that you have to spend money. Um, <laughs> and there are local ones um, that are much smaller and uh, easier to get to. And um, in fact, I, I really love, they have these EAGX conferences, which are kind of like had Ted has TEDx conferences. Mm-hmm. And they are fantastic, especially if you're uh, relatively new, uh, because um, they're much more about that community side of things uh, around um, and uh, people who might be in a similar position as well, who might be a bit newer. Um, and they're going to be more local because these confer- EAGX conferences are all over the world, many, many locations, whereas the um, yeah, global ones are generally in San Francisco or, or London. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely encourage that. Um, also, uh, Rebecca just reminded me when she mentioned the life you can save. Uh, we're also running an online book club at the moment for a book, Doing Good Better, which is actually over my shoulder right now. Uh, nice placement. <laughs> um, which was written by Will McCaskill, one of our founders. Um, and if you go to givingwhatwecan.org slash events, you can register for the book club. We'll even send you the book for free, which is if you're worried about the cost of that, don't worry. Um, and yeah, you can meet other people who are uh, going through reading this kind of uh, every week for five weeks. Um, and it's a really good example of the opportunity to learn, learn alongside others and have these discussions about how these ideas affect our lives. Mm. Today, I, um, while researching for this interview, I learned that I'm not giving effectively. Um, the first thing I, I, I've done is um, giving locally. And then I learned, okay, locally, giving locally is not, not the most effective thing I could do um, because I could, I mean, I spent, I think, for a local organization in Berlin for poor people and, and animals and so on. But um, I learned that every life is kind of, um, was the same, so I could potentially also just um, give my money to um, Africa or somewhere else where it's kind of um, allocated more effectively. Is that right from a thinking perspective? Yeah, so if you care about people alive today um, mm-hmm. in the, or in the near term, generally you're going to get a lot more impact um, by a, a helping people who are worst off, worse off. Um, and that's mm-hmm. just because... Um, there are so many low-hanging fruits, things like um, providing um, access to basic medicine, uh, things that we just take for granted in places like Australia and Germany and the US. Um, we just have so much just from based off where we're born. Um, and 
things are slightly different if you're thinking about um, policies that might affect the long-term future. So a lot of that stuff is, um, you know, that work might be uh, giving to advocacy organisations that are based in countries like the ones that I mentioned because they're big global players, their economies are quite big, the, the policies that are in their country are going to be quite impactful to the whole world. Um, but, yeah, generally this community does focus on trying to be impartial and, and say that just because um, someone might be born at a different time or place um, and even to an extent thinking outside of just humans, um, animals, they they have lives as well that are rich um, and they're capable of suffering and you don't want to cause unnecessary suffering. So really trying to be quite compassionate in giving and not just uh, relying on empathy for those who we relate to. Mm. And the, the other mistake I made is, um, I think that's also um, quite mainstream in Europe. You have also large um, charity organizations or NGOs ca called WWF or the, I think also the refugee organization I'm donating to. And they have an, a key or a KPI called um, how much they, of the money they collect they spend on the head, uh, overhead. So they then write on their website, oh, we spent just 1% on our overhead. But I think one key uh, thing is that you're not using that KPI. But <laughs> which one do you use? Yeah. So overhead is a very interesting one because it's really simple and, um, and it's very attractive. Uh, we think of charity in this moral space of like we want uh, charity should be all about Uh, helping others, which is great, but it, uh, kind of a, a somewhat naive um, and very normal, natural interpretation of that is that, oh, that means that the charity should be spending as much as possible uh, on, on their programs. Um, but as many of us have discovered in other parts of the world, sometimes you need to spend a bit more money out front uh, or on things that make yourselves much more efficient in the future, um, or you need to spend money on things like evaluating your work, <laughs> um, you know, um, And the other thing is with overhead costs is a lot of the time it can be creative accounting is to claim a lot of things as program costs um, when they might be otherwise seen as administrative or advertising and things like that. And at the end of the day, what you actually care about is the amount of good done. And so that'll de depend uh, on how you, you uh, what you value in the world is to what you decide good is. Um, you know, for example, I might uh, just look at a different part of life is I might say my, my vegan mac and cheese recipe is very, very effective at delivering calories per dollar, but not necessarily micronutrients per dollar. <laughs> so, um, and it might be very effective at delivering taste, but, um, you know, um, but not necessarily uh, as effective as, some, as something else. So you really thinking about what is the effect that you're trying to have in the world? And so overhead cost has very little um, to do with the actual effect. It can you know, change it a little bit, but if a, if a charity is maybe five or 10% more efficient um, from the overhead cost perspective, you only get a little bit more good. Whereas the differences between charities and what they actually do in the world can be tens, hundreds, or even thousands of times um, different. And so, for example, if you're focused on Uh, providing massages for millionaires, you, you're not going to uh, do that much more good in the world. But if you're focused on delivering, um, you know, uh, 
insecticide-treated bed nets to those who uh, have very, very little, you're going to do a lot more good in the world um, and improve a lot more lives. Yes. And uh, I think there's a belief um, um, uh, regarding the overhead, why, why it, overhead is evil, comes from that you said from the belief small is beautiful, especially <laughs> in, in Berlin. We like to support small and not the big or large corporations. So I think that's kind of where it comes from. And you, you always have fear that people are just spending your money um, where it, uh, it's not allocated well. Um, Just yeah, just a question for the nerds. Maybe what is um, this ID insight and um, give well and open philanthropy? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of organizations in this space that do some kind of evaluation or prioritization work. ID Insight is an organization that has existed for a while prior to the effective altruism movement that does a lot of on-the-ground research and working with uh, communities and governments and, and researchers all over the world, uh, evaluating um, interventions uh, to improve things like health or education and things like that. There's another organization, um, the JPAL, which also uh, does a lot of, um, uh, it's a poverty action lab that does a lot of similar research. And then organizations like GiveWell then use that research and try and compare it as apples to apples. So they go, okay, you've done all this on the ground research. Let's have a look through the lens of if we say it's, you know, this good to improve uh, the length of someone's life, this good to improve the quality of life, this good if you save a five-year-old versus saving an 18-year-old, this good if you are improving, so increasing someone's level of consumption uh, in terms of like their standard of living. So basically to try and combine all of these things to find, okay, given all of this research and all of these priorities and also which organizations are doing work on the ground, um, not just what does the scientific literature say about the intervention in general, what specific organizations, what funding gaps do they have? And if you were a donor donating the next dollar, where should that dollar go? Um, and open philanthropy uh, actually came out of GiveWell. Um, so... Uh, one of the co-founders of Facebook, Dustin Moskowitz, and his uh, partner, uh, his, uh, Carrie Tuna, they said, look, we want to give away most of our wealth. Um, and they went to the founders of GiveWell, and they together created initially GiveWell Labs, which then became Open Philanthropy. And they have a broader mission than GiveWell. They look at not just humans, but also animals, and not just humans alive now, but looking into the future as well. So that's where things like climate change or biosecurity and things like that really shine. Because if you're thinking about things that could affect the very, very long-term future, you want to make sure that we have a long-term future. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, they, they do a lot of research and grant making and they publish a lot of that online as well. So it's a very useful resource. We work with them. We use their research in some of our write-ups of course areas as well. So ba basically... You, you're kind of also using the research they're doing to just allocate or recommend where to spend the money, basically. Yeah. And you don't have to do all that number crunching yourself in your organization. Exactly. And to give effectively, yeah, you don't personally need to be on the ground with a clipboard in Nigeria and then also uh, doing statistical estimates around the probability of <laughs> artificial intelligence uh, taking off in the year 2100 or 2200 or 2050. <laughs> you can uh, rely on some of the expertise of others mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what we as a community try and highlight the best information. 
Um, that's wonderful. Although it could be interesting also to go in some of these countries and yeah, just measure a bit around. Um, Rebecca, just one question uh, for you. Um, in, in Europe, I think I think um, this philanthropy is in 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 the US. It's quite big. So I have also some some numbers. Uh, kind of, they spent one dot four four of the GDP uh, for donations in 2016. And also there are some billionaires spending like 50% of their wealth they have accumulated. Why, why is it so big in the US and in Europe? Um, basically, for example, in Germany, we just spent 0.17 of the GDP. Okay, it's a smaller country. Um, why is it so big in the US? Is it because of tax advantages or is it a history tradition? Um, or is it just because... Um, We have we kind of pay tax. We just pay a lot of more tax, and the government is taking care of all these, um, yeah, donations, which are not donations then anymore. What, what's the difference between kind of Europe and the US, basically? Um, Luke, I actually might throw this question to you, but I mean, definitely what we see a lot here, especially in the whole Silicon Valley movement, is a lot of extremely wealthy individuals. Not all, <laughs> but a lot of big tech names who have pledged to give away their money, most notably, you know, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. I think that trend is on fashion and on true. Um, I also think tax-wise, yes, we're treated very differently in the US than in Europe. And there's potentially a little bit more wiggle room. And there's also a lot of tax incentives to donate um, if you do that thoughtfully, whether that's through a donor-advised fund um, or through other tax advantage accounts like an individual retirement account here in the U.S. Uh, but Luke, do you have any thoughts on sort of the philosophies and maybe why U.S. is such a big player in this space? Yeah, so there's a couple of things in there. Um, one is also the way that it's calculated. So in the U.S., a lot more things are, are considered charitable giving um, than are in other places. So, uh, for example, giving... Uh, to religious institutions, giving to mm -hmm. local schools. A lot of this stuff um, can often be quote-unquote charitable giving, but in, in some sense it's a, more of a club good uh, than a, um, uh, something that is purely altruistic and, uh, and uh, helping people who are kind of distant and unrelated to that person. So um, the, that's one thing is it's slightly muddied by that. The other is... Um, You know, secularization uh, has uh, led to less giving norms. Um, so giving uh, is be being quite a big thing, a, part, a big part of a number of world religions. Um, and uh, as many places have secularized, that, that has been lost. And I think that's a bit of a, a pity um, is that people um, miss this culture of giving uh, that is nurtured in, in things like religious institutions, but we haven't found ways of doing that in a secular sense, which is partly what we're trying to do at Giving What We Can is to say, hey, this is, it's a good thing to do. Um, not only does it make, uh, you know, the, a lot of difference for the lives of beneficiaries, but it also helps you. And to some extent, it's also a form of voluntary wealth redistribution. Um, and uh, which also takes to the things like, yeah, uh, the US um, does have better tax treatment and the US sadly uh, doesn't have as good uh, a social safety net. So in some sense, there is a lot, a need for domestic charity, uh, which in many places like Europe and Australia, the government does fill a lot of those gaps. 
So um, if you are seeing a lot of, say, homelessness around you, you're more likely to try to give to local things like that. But if you're mm-hmm. in a place like um, you know, Sydney um, and you go, look, I have a pretty good life and most people around me do as well, I may as well just look after myself, is not an uncommon attitude. Um, and you go, I know that the government will help people. But it's also, okay, well, what about animals? What about people in different countries? Or what about uh, things that other groups are li- likely to be underrepresented is future people. They don't have any say in what's happening, but what we're doing right now today really f- affects their lives. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's um, interesting how, this, how, how we kind of do this with institution and institutions. And in the US, it's kind of a voluntary thing to kind of spend uh, or it's kind of a tradition if you have money then you spend it i also um i think regarding the wiggle room rebecca mentioned there also i think there have been some milliardaires uh, or billionaires um who ask to be more taxed more i think this uh, george soros abigail disney and so on so they asked mm-hmm. to just yeah give away more of their wealth via tax but uh, i think still there will be also Uh, donating have you also um you mentioned like twice times this um helping people future people so people who are not produced basically or (laughs) born um that i think that's one of um i think of the newer influences that kind of in the effective altruism movement so there i think there are a couple of new ideas except just helping uh, poor people but also yeah just helping To, to keep the yeah um, the living standards in the future not being killed by AI or robots or drones and so on what's what's going on in this uh, kind of new thinking about effective altruism yeah so if you look back through history you see that generally if you were to plunk yourself at a point in time uh, and you were someone who wanted to do the most good one rule of thumb is look at those who have the least voice, uh, those who are unable to change their own circumstances and do what you can to advocate for their their interests. So if you're in a, living in a time where there's slavery, um, be an advocate or someone who is trying to stop that because those people don't have the ability to change the circumstances. They don't have any way of voting or anything like that. Um, so you, as someone who has privilege, using that to improve the lives of those who don't and expanding your moral circle to go beyond just, you know, I'm, I'm looking out for me and mine to, I, I, I care for others around me. Um, I care for those even who are much further away from me. Um, so you fast forward to where we are today. Well, who are those who have the least say and the least ability to change their own circumstances? Um, that's likely a place where you're going to find a lot of uh, impact. And that is, we have a lot of, you know, in, unprecedented number of animals, for example, in uh, factory farm conditions that have a lot of suffering. That is something that didn't exist before. We just kind of created this problem in the last half century. Um, So you could do a lot to advocate for change there. And there are organizations doing things like improving animal welfare conditions, also just shifting away from having animals uh, as a a primary source of food or um, materials um, and finding alternatives. Um, similarly, if you're someone in a rich country, uh, there is nothing that anyone in Kenya can do to get Australian government to give them more money. Um, so I might be taxed in Australia and the Australian government can do things to help my, improve my life and the life of those worst off in the pardon. 
and the life of those worse off in Australia. But uh, there's nothing that someone in another country who, by happenstance of being born there and that, and that kind of product of history that has led to that country having less, and often due to things like colonialism and, um, and uh, extractive um, rich countries over the years. Um, so they have very little ability to, for our kind of welfare state to help them. So voluntarily giving that through charity is a way of improving the world quite significantly. And similarly, people in the future. So we're seeing this with climate change. We are uh, kind of creating problems for people who might be very young now or, and, or um, yet to be born. And these problems are going to last for a very long time. And uh, we could do one of two things. We could you know, act now to improve the future, or we could continue to be selfish at the cost of those who are going to have a worse life uh, for maybe many, 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 many generations to come. And so that idea of moral expansion um, is one of the ways that you can have a lot more impact is going, who, whose lives am I considering? If I'm just trying to help people who are like me, um, the cost to improve life is actually relatively high and it taps out someone in Australia on uh, average income, there isn't actually a lot more you can do to improve their lives that isn't um, going to be them actively involved in their own life improvement, things like um, their habits, their um, mental health, uh, things like that, which are often internal. Um, you can do things like provide a few more uh, services or counselling or things like that, but money really caps out. But money does have an incredible uh, ability to shift things in the world, um, especially for those who have the least and for things that um, are going to affect populations that don't have an ability to advocate for themselves. Uh, and so that's where you can find these really, really big um, ways of having an impact. Mm. And uh, so you can also fix problems that occur later, uh, just just now, instead of fixing them in the future. So basically, you can also, you, you kind of know <laughs> what problems will occur. So for example, that uh, Jakarta is not exist, uh, exists not anymore in the, in the, in the couple of years and, um, and so on. Okay. So um, they're still move forward with their thinking in the um, effective altruism um, community. Is there anything else or some trends you see both in, in philanthropy, uh, how it will evolve in the future? Yeah, it's been really encouraging, actually, to see in the last few years in particular mm. that some of these ideas are uh, becoming more mainstream, uh, that a lot more people are really considering impact when they're giving uh, in, in, in philanthropy. Um, one of uh, our fiercest critics um, from uh, a decade ago, Charity Navigator, um, who, again, we're trying to help people be more mindful of their giving, but focusing very much on things like overhead, um, mm. They have turned around and they acquired another uh, organization, Impact Matters, that looks at impact. Um, mm -hmm. And after being you know, critical of this uh, view of impact being what matters, uh, they've come around and said, look, this is actually really important. Um, and we've seen many people from small dollar don donors to you know, the incredibly wealthy say, um, I care what matters in the world and I'm not giving just to feel good about it or just to um, demonstrate that I'm a wonderful person in my immediate community where I get, I get most of the benefit. Um, but I'm going to look outwards into the world and see how can I do the most good with uh, the giving that I I'm doing. And it's, it's been really good to see that shift. Um, and 
it does seem to me from what I'm seeing that it's uh, happening faster and faster. Mm. And um, that's also a lot for uh, true for individuals. And I think seeing the chart of the charitable giving over the last 30 years in the US, I think individuals are the, the, the most um, who, who donate. Is also there some change that you can see with corporations or foundations? Do you also have um, or can also corporations involved with, with giving what we can or what trends do you see uh, with these kind of yeah. legal entities? Yeah, so uh, last year we, uh, or the end of um, 2020, uh, we created our company pledge. We now have 20 company pledges. Um, they're mostly private companies um, or all private companies. So uh, where people have a lot of control, they don't have a lot of shareholders. So they're saying, look, I'm going to give from the profits of my company. Um, but a lot of public companies have done things like the pledge 1%. Um, uh, that isn't effectiveness focused specifically, but they're looking at you. There is an increase in this adoption of philanthropic giving, as well as many companies having things like workplace programs, Uh, workplace giving programs where they might match donations. Um, and I really encourage people to look and see if their workplace has one, if not suggest one. Um, and at the very least making it easy for people to give through payroll giving where it just comes out of your salary before you uh, see it. Um, so often uh, basically you get the immediate tax benefit. Um, and uh, you, a great time to do that is when you get a raise because then you, you get more money you give some money to charity and you don't notice uh, <laughs> um, and you just feel great because you're getting both the positive benefit of a raise and the positive benefit of giving more to charity. Um, yeah. Cool. That you also offer that for, to, to companies. And um, how, how about regulation? Is there any change that you see in, from a like, regulation side to, um, to, to giving or related things? Um. Not so, not a huge a shift in um, like different countries go through different phases at different points in time. Mm. In fact, Australia, I think, has like tightened it too much that it doesn't include a lot of really important uh, beneficiaries, um, such as animals. It's really hard to give to help animals in Australia, mm. other than things like shelters. Um, but um, it is really interesting seeing a lot of other policy related things uh, that have changed. For example, Uh, in the UK and um, now in the UN as well, they're considering the lives of future generations um, a lot more seriously and they're looking at ways of actually building that into policy. And that's something that um, is very new and is really important for the future as well. Mm. Yeah, in Germany, basically, I've, we, we, we can't um, kill the male chickens because they're not producing eggs anymore. So yeah. that's a new law. <laughs> Um, so and it's not expensive. It's not it's expensive not. for providers. It's about one cent per half dozen. <laughs> uh, yes, but you know, the German discounters, they want to save money that they can <laughs> and also the people buying. But um, I think that's also a small, good um, win. Um, I think we learned a lot. Uh, we, we maybe not should not overdo it. I think people um, have learned a lot about um, how they can, how they can give. Um, I personally learned a lot also researching it and also from, from you both. Yeah, so I would invite everybody to maybe check out the website of Giving What You Can. Also, um, uh, maybe have a look at um, Rebecca's website that I also will link in the, in the show notes. There's also a book on, on her website that you can, um, that you can get. Um, yeah, so thanks for, for being here in the, in the podcast. 
Anything you would like to add or to to get out to to the people? Um, we have just released our 2021 giving guide. So if you go to givingwhatwecan.org, uh, on the homepage, uh, you can pop your email in and get that as a downloadable guide. Um, highly recommend that as well as our uh, giving recommendations that we have on the website, which uh, gives you information for different causes that you might be interested in and how to give effectively within that. Um, but yeah, otherwise I invite, invite anyone who would like to join our community and um, yeah, and want to say thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and I second that. Please check out Giving What We Can. I'm part of that community too. Uh, just sort of a, a final note of encouragement for those that are pursuing financial independence and thinking about maybe more meaningful ways to give back. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do both with your time, money, and energy as you get towards this place of freedom. And so thinking about how to either give your time or money to effective causes is important. And I think for me personally, like as you get closer and closer, if you are someone who's looking to early retire and you're thinking about like what it means to transition into this new life phase, rooting yourself both in doing good in your community and things like that will help that transition. So starting on that journey now, whether it's making small donations now or thinking about invest to give, like donating upon your death, your nest egg that you're living about off of now, all those things are awesome. So I think financial literacy is an awesome, awesome tool that helps unlock freedom for ourselves, but also helps us create more space for others. So those are the things we're trying to build, uh, me and Luke. And then also you guys can always check out my financial literacy course at yieldandspread.com. Right now it's a US only version, but if you're someone who loves teaching financial literacy and you're interested in helping me expand to Europe, I definitely would love to hear from you and you can reach out to me there. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And I wish, wish you a great um, day and evening for me. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode. We really appreciate you taking the time and we would love to hear your feedback in the comments on our website financial-independence.eu or you can head over to our Facebook group and engage with us and like-minded people that you can find at financial-independence.eu slash community. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if you like. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle FIEurope. And for people on our email list, we post occasionally about special updates, ideas, events, and curate the best contents from the European FI community. You can find that at financial-independence.eu slash newsletter. Thank you for being part of the community and see you in the next episode. Hey, it's the Mad Scientist again. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Big thanks again to Matthias, Rebecca, and Luke for taking part. And make sure you go and send them some love and go check out the Financial Independence Year podcast and check out all the other resources that were mentioned in the episode. Thanks very much for listening and I'll see you in the next one. Finance.